The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 301 of the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Hello, everyone. I guess I said that already. Welcome to... I guess I said that already, too. What's next? The theme song again. Let's not waste any time, because we have a great show for you today. Proust, Volume 2, Within a Budding Grove. Now, do not change the channel, or delete, or do whatever you do when you think a topic won't appeal to you, especially for those of you who haven't read Proust, Volume 2, or haven't read Proust at all. This is still for you. I'm going to tell you all about the wild publication history of Volume 2. You don't need to have read Proust to enjoy this story. It's got a little chicanery in there. Kind of like Lupin. Have you watched this Netflix show, Lupin? It's the best French television show I have ever seen. Admittedly, it's not a long list. French films, I suppose I've seen a few hundred of those, but TV shows, not so much. But this show, Lupin, with Omar Sy, is very enjoyable. And it made me look up the main character's inspiration, which is a set of stories from 1905 or so about the gentleman burglar, Arsène Lupin. Lupin. (laughs) That's my French again. Written by Maurice LeBlanc. The stories were heavily influenced by Sherlock Holmes, kind of the other side of Sherlock Holmes, the gentleman burglar. And in fact, there were even a few stories where Lupin matched wits with the great London sleuth. Then the lawyers got involved, letters were written, Doyle let it be known that this was not okay to use the Sherlock Holmes character without his permission. And so the French publishers pulled off a clever evasion. Maybe Maurice LeBlanc himself pulled this off. It Obviously, it takes a criminal mastermind to come up with this kind of a trick. They changed the character's name from Sherlock Holmes to Herlock Sholmes. How clever is that? It's like drawing a mustache on yourself with a magic marker and walking out the door of the jewelry store with priceless gems in your pocket. Herlock Sholmes. Unbelievable. But the show Lupin, which is available on Netflix, at least for those of us here in the States, is worth watching. Very fun. Okay, speaking of 1905 in Paris, we are diving into the world of Proust. As I think I've told you before, Proust had a hard time finding a publisher for Swan's Way, which is the first volume of his masterpiece, Remembrance of Things Past. It was turned down by André Gide's publisher, among others. Undeterred, he paid for the publication himself with a publishing house or a printer run by a man named Bernard Grasset. Grasset himself didn't think much of Proust's work. He thrust a copy into the hands of one person and said, here you go, it's unreadable. (laughs) But eventually, critics and readers were catching up with Proust, taking the time to see what he was up to, and the novelty and difficulty of his prose gave way to the more considered opinion that this was one hell of a book. Originally, it was planned for three volumes, but World War I caused a paper shortage and a delay, and this gave Proust more time to think about his book, which made him think it should be longer. And he lined his room with cork so he could concentrate, and he wrote a bunch of letters to his neighbors, urging them to be quiet, even asking them to rearrange their schedules and the moments when they were going to nail things or unpack crates if it was going to interfere with his ability to write. 
He spoke of himself in the third person sometimes in these letters, as in, the novelist will appreciate it if you would shut your damn yap. That's a paraphrase, of course. <laughs> Not even a paraphrase. I made it up. Proust doesn't talk like that. So I will, I will give you the actual quote so you can hear Proust's more refined statements in the third person talking about himself when telling a neighbor who was the wife of an American dentist who lived in the building that he could really use more quiet. He wrote, he would be most grateful to her if she would be his spokeswoman with the doctor to request that there not be too much noise tomorrow. That was a quote. He was gracious. He sent her roses for her trouble. And when he asked for a change in schedule, he said, I absolutely expect you to tell me what I owe you for the expenses I occasion you by these shifts in the workers' hours. Polite man, Marcel Proust. Then he goes even further. The roses maybe didn't seem like enough. I mean, he wrote at least 23 letters to this woman all to propose changes in the schedule and being more quiet and to prevail upon her with her dentist husband to try to keep it down. When the roses didn't seem sufficient for all the requests he was making, he upped the ante and said, quote, My asthma attacks are too intense to procure me a little silence. I hope that you will be willing to accept these four pheasants with as much simplicity as I put into offering them to you as neighbor. End quote. The point for us is that Proust had money and his novel was everything to him now. And so it probably shouldn't surprise us, but I confess it still kind of does, that after Swan's Way came out, before he had lined up a publisher for the next volumes, he paid newspapers to run flattering reviews of Swan's Way that he himself wrote or edited. Get the old publicity machine rolling. And it worked. The literary world caught up. Suddenly, they were ready for Proust and more Proust. They saw what he was up to, and the second volume within a budding grove ended up winning prizes and justifying to Proust that his efforts in publishing had not been a vanity project and had not been in vain. But how to get this done how do you place favorable reviews in a way that doesn't come back to bite you? I'm reminded of the time when Amazon accidentally published the real names of the reviewers instead of the handles. And all of these authors got caught having written favorable reviews of their own books and trashing the works of their rivals. Proust was too clever for that in the pre-digital age, and he had pheasants and roses he could give away to get what he wanted, so he found a go-between. Not the printer Bernard Grasset, who had declared his book unreadable, but Grasset's assistant. He had the man type up the reviews. Proust was careful to make sure that his own handwriting wasn't attached in any way to the project, in case someone at the newspaper recognized it and shamed him. And he wanted to be completely distanced from the money that would change hands. It was 300 francs, or about $1,200 in today's money, to get a rave review placed on the front page of Le Figaro. And here I am, giving him the publicity for free. <laughs> what have, how much have I given to Marcel? Three episodes and counting? More? I've mentioned him all a bunch of times. I should have stuck my hand out for a little payola from his publisher. Eh, who am I kidding? It's my pleasure, Marcel. Small bit of appreciation for all the hours and hours of pleasure that you have given me. Consider these episodes as my gift to you. No need to thank me, and you can keep the roses and the pheasants. Back to our story. Proust was actually angry at Le Figaro after he paid his money and they edited out his description of himself, which was, quote, the eminent Marcel Proust, end quote. That's how he described himself in these reviews. He added that in himself, <laughs> and they took it out. 
or a newspaper here. We'll take your money to place the review, but we are not going to stretch our standards by referring to this guy as the eminent Marcel Proust. Well, I'm happy to throw that one in for free, Marcel. If you're not eminent, nobody is. Those snobs at Le Figaro didn't know what they were dealing with. Who they had. Now, this assistant, or actually I guess it was the editor at Grasset's printing house, who was working on Proust's behalf to land these rave reviews, was a man named Louis Brun. He worked for Grasset, but he actually liked the book, unlike Grasset. And what did he get for his trouble? For pulling off this little behind-the-scenes chicanery? Proust gave him a copy of the book. That sounds a little lame when you put it that way. To give the printer of a book a copy of the book, printer could probably make a, run a few off himself. Just keep them. Except that this was a special copy of the book. It was printed on something called Japan tissue, which was made from the bark of mulberry trees. They only made a handful of these. There are something like four copies in the world. Proust paid for this himself. Four copies in the world today that are known. And the last time one was up for auction, a few years ago, it was expected to fetch close to a million dollars. Not bad. Roses, four pheasants, and a book worth more than my house. Proust was demanding. He was exacting. But he knew how to repay a favor. Let's take a quick break, then hear from a listener, then come back with Mike Palindrome and our look at Proust and the Twitterverse. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, Bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. start with an email from listener Rodrigo, who says he has tried to email several times, but can't ever seem to hit send. He keeps drafting emails, and then he'll listen to a new episode that makes him want to update the email with some new thoughts, and he can't keep up. He's another one of our Brazilian friends. Brazil by way of Boston, 25 years in the United States. But hey, Brazil is probably a state of mind, right? Anyway... I enjoy hearing from Brazil and our Brazilian friends. We are really having fun with this group. They're growing. Their enthusiasm and personality just come flying out of these emails, starting with our first Brazilian friend, 
that beautiful email. And then listener Caroline, who's working like crazy on that land of hers. And now Rodrigo and some others in between. The one thing they have all had in common, I think every single one, is that they have recommended Machado Diocese. And Rodrigo is no different. And that episode is going to happen this spring, hopefully. March is the target month for that. I am looking forward to it. We have such kind and wonderful people from Brazil who have written such interesting emails. Such a great group of friends. All my friends. I hope I could say that. So anyway, instead of trying to gather all of his thoughts into the email, Rodrigo just sent a clip for me to play. Here it is. Hey, Jack. Uh, Rodrigo from Boston here. Um, of the 30 books or so I read last year, most ideas came from your podcast. Uh, in fact, I just got done with uh, Thomas Pynchon's The Crying a Lot 49, which I added to my list after listening to your 200th episode. So uh, please thank Mike for that. Congrats on number 300, and uh, here's to another 3,000. All the best to you and the family, and um, thank you so much for what you do. Mm. Wow, 3,000 episodes. <laughs> I would have to up my game a little bit, even more than two a week, which is already kind of killing me. I don't even know, two a day, maybe? That would probably kill all of you. So we won't go there, but I appreciate the kindness in that remark. Rodrigo, I'm very glad you are enjoying the show, and thank you for sending me such a nice email with this nice message. We are going to make it, people. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Speaking of which, there's light just on the other side of the break. Mike Palindrome, El Presidente himself, is here to tell us about his reading experience with a bunch of strangers. They are all reading their way through Proust, ten pages at a time. I was curious about the level of their discourse. So don't worry, you don't need to have read Volume 2 to listen to this conversation or assess what's going on. What we are assessing here is both Proust, but also the reactions to Proust. What is it like for this hearty group of people, these literary travelers, to journey into Swan's Way? We already sort of heard about that, but after the enthusiasm and energy wears down, and the calendar pages keep turning... And you keep going, 10 more pages, 10 more pages, 10 more pages. You get into volume two. What happens then? Are readers giddy? Are they engaged? Are they irritated? Do they turn on one another? Do they drop out? Do they go insane? <laughs> we, <laughs> we will hear from Mike, who is kind of the the ringmaster of this thing, as far as I can tell, organizing it at his Twitter handle, at LiteratureSC. He'll tell us about his 10 favorite tweets that have come out of the project, specifically related to Volume 2, Within a Budding Grove. That's coming up next, after this. Okay, joining me now for a discussion of Proust, Volume 2, Within a Budding Grove, is our old friend Mike Palindrome, the president of the Literature Supporters Club, who has been in the trenches on this one, reading Proust online as part of the Proust Together Twitter project. Mike, welcome back to the History of Literature. Thanks, Jack. Wow. So we had you here to talk about Swan's Way, and your group online has continued its march through Proust. I've asked you to compile the top 10 tweets that came out of the read together. But before we get to those, let's just talk generally about volume two of Proust within a budding grove. A lot of people say this is their favorite volume. Is that your experience so far? I was thinking it's a kind of a dark horse for favorite volume. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, having read it, this is my second time reading it. I think volume one or the last volume are the best. Mm. I think volume one, just because it's so stunning when you first encounter it. Yeah. Um, right. And it it's, just yeah. keeps up its aura. 
and then volume the last volume because it brings together so many disparate mm-hmm. themes yeah. and characters. Right. Um, it's kind of like a curtain call. Yeah. Where, it's you know, it's very satisfying, and, and you feel like, oh wow, he this this turns out to be a sort of a high wire act that I didn't even realize he was going to be able to pull all this together like this. Yeah. So, um, volume two, which some people, the penguin now translates it from literally from French, which is in the shadow of young girls in flower. I was going to ask you about that. (laughs) I have to say, because it's such a mouthful. It just hurts my brain that they do (laughs) this. I don't get it at all. I'm still, I, I love the title remembrance of things past. I just love it. I mean, it comes yeah. out of the Shakespeare sonnet. It's so evocative to me. It's so poetic. I don't care that it's not a literal translation of the words in French. I feel like <laughs> I, I just don't care. I feel like it's an improvement. If if that's what it yeah. is in French, I feel like Remembrance of Things Past is a perfect improvement. And I feel the same way about Within a Budding Grove. It's, it's like yeah. the... the it's like a, a poet's line to convey this and to have it in the shadow of young girls in flower just sounds, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I, well, the, uh, I, I completely understand um, the way I also, you know, in support of your position, when I tell people, if you pick up um, Flowers of Evil by Baudelaire, mm-hmm. the, the version that has the English and the French side by side. Mm-hmm. And you see what liberties, quote unquote liberties, yeah, but right. you know the translators took and famous translators too. Right. It, it's just really difficult to translate poetry, and I think titles are like poetry. Mm-hmm. My only thing with the Penguin is I, I do prefer that they titled Volume Four Sodom and Gomorrah instead of Cities on the Plain. Cities on the, the Plain. plain. Yeah. yeah, that that maybe uh, misses a little bit now that we're no longer as steeped in the Bible as we once yeah. were. That Sodom and Gomorrah is it. Yeah, it conveys more to me than Cities of the Plain. That wouldn't be a reference that would really resonate with me. I sort of have to think my way into it. Yeah, um, but uh, a lot of people. We're now in Volume Three right mm-hmm. now. Uh, we just finished Volume Three, Germont's Way, mm. and. Um, it's been pretty interesting because I think everyone loved volume one. There's a little bit of a, a group that preferred volume three to two. Oh, right. I, I found kind of interesting because uh, volume three is so much about Paris high society. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right. <laughs> the level of snobbism is yeah. uh, just a little hard to take. I mean, yeah. you're wearing black shoes with the red dress. I mean, kind of thing. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> and he's so eager to yeah to get it right to uh yeah. every detail i mean there's there's a scene where um the narrator is just outraged and what does he do he stomps on a silk hat <laughs> <laughs> i i really felt like i was not i should be drinking something like better than beer at that moment <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, let's get into the tweets. So just so people understand, this is a group of, I don't know, what is it? A few dozen of you who are reading this and you, there's a hashtag. And so you're all able to uh, unite. I think think we've gotten bigger actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's more, it's, I think it's close to about 50. Okay. So about 50 people. And then you read about 10 pages a day and then you tweet about it as little or as much as you want. That's right. Okay, so let's see. I want to make sure this is uh, something people can follow along with. So I'll just remind people that Swan's Way is all about the narrator's mother's kiss goodnight, and it's got the eating of the Madeleine, which triggers the memory and kind of the the most famous passage, I would say, from Proust. In this volume, the narrator is moving from childhood to adolescence, and he becomes indifferent to Swan's daughter, and he visits Belbeck with his grandmother— He meets Albertine, who has brilliant laughing eyes and plump cheeks. And we meet some other kind of main characters in the Proustian world. So do you think if you deliver the tweets, they'll make sense? Or can you give a little context around them? Or maybe we should just jump in. I think we just jump in. Okay. I I think, yeah. So uh... I asked you, I'm kind of, part of me is 
is fascinated by this online reading project that you're doing or this, I don't know if it's a project, but it's a, a, a what would you call it, an activity, an endeavor, it's kind of a communal uh, participatory read of Proust. And I'm interested in the quality of comments and whether the ones you pick are are going to be humorous, are they going to be insightful, are they going to be philosophical, or what it is that's standing out to you as the best exemplars of the experience you're having and the contributions of your fellow tweeters. So, You know, I took a mix because I think I could have come to you with 10 tweets about aesthetic theory because yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had so much. Um, so when he's at Baalbek, the seaside <laughs> resort, yeah. Uh, he encounters this painter, Elster, who is based on, right. I believe, Renoir. And there's all this art theory about painting horizons and painting landscapes. And some people really got into that. And they were just like, well, optically, painters look at it like this. And there was like posting <laughs> of academic articles. So, so but I, I, I picked a mix. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll start with a couple of tweets that were just very short and snappy like um should i say the person who tweeted it i don't know if they if, if it's their tweet twitter handle or just say yeah i think if it's their twitter handle that's fair game they, they but most of them are they, it's their names because they're kind of nerdy oh, right. readers okay so maybe i'll i'll drop it yeah so well wait the... i just wanted before we get too far i just wanted to say that i think my understanding of elster was that he might have been modeled on monet oh um, monet. Okay. yeah Sorry. some monet. say uh right. Uh, Degas, but one of the things that always cracked me up was, I guess the the stir. You know, it's kind of an unusual name. Uh, yeah. Apparently, part of it was supposed to conjure up Whistler, uh, who was another one of uh, a painter mm. Proust was was looking at. So anyway, okay. So yeah, let's... so the name the yeah that reminds me the name dropping by Proust yeah. is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's beyond. Yeah. Sometimes it's very. You know, meaningful illusions. Sometimes it's literally like I know this person. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it, I think Volume One had none of that, <laughs> but Volume Two is just filled with that. Um, and Volume Three is also. Volume Three has Victor Hugo and Zola and stuff that I really forgot the first time I was reading it because I was just trying to get through it the first time. Yeah. Um, and I think the slow read for people, I'd say probably half the group is reading it for the first time. The fact that they're reading it slowly, it's almost like they're reading it a second time mm. because they, they don't have to read to get through it because right. you only have to get through 10 pages a day. Right, right. So they, they've, they've been very grateful to be able to read it at yeah. that pace. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, you'll make progress. So, you know, you will reach the end. It's not one of those you worry, well, if I go too slow and then I put it down for a month, I may never pick it back up. You know, so it's a really good, uh, really good idea. And it's kind of like those those clubs where you lose weight or something and you're all checking in with each other. And it's just kind of fun to do it. Um, Seems like it would be fun to do it as part of a group. So let's hear the tweets. So should I say who who tweeted them? Yeah, I think I think so. We'll give them a little credit. Okay, so I'll just start with this. This doesn't count as one of my 10. But Lisa Hayden said, I'm finding roughly 12 pages a day is just right for me. Some years ago, I tried reading Swan's Way as a regular book, but got stuck at 70, page 70. Mm. This pace works beautifully and look forward to reading new pages each day. Yeah. So there, there were a number of tweets and they continue to be a number of tweets about that, that basically it's like the thing I do first thing in the morning mm. or it's the thing I do at night after dinner. Yep. So it's so. it's like working... I mean, there's certain things like that that I'm always, I always feel better when I'm able to work it into my day. Sometimes it's exercise or sometimes it's yoga. I've never done it with meditation, but I know a lot of people find that to be a really important part of their day once they get into that. And it kind of becomes addictive. I find that when it's a, a good thing, it's sort of like you hit that point where then it, it really starts to feel good. Yeah, and exactly. When I was in Taiwan, yeah. I had this thing where I was using the I Ching, and every day mm-hmm. I would flip coins and look up my my passage of the day to give me like a, <laughs> a philosophical thing to. Uh, <laughs> there's like a specific technique where you flip. I think it's three coins, and it tells you which of the ideograms to look at. And 
uh, it was, uh, uh, it gave me a little something to reflect on each day. And it was a, a great, a great way. Oh, and once I had a, a, a thing where every day I would read a chess puzzle, you know, oh. and uh, there was a thing online and it had like a daily chess problem. And I would, I'm not a, a great chess player, but I could follow along with these chess problems. And it kind of gave me, you know, a lot of people do crossword puzzles every day or whatever. And it's like a, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of a nice uh, routine part of the day when you can just take in a little, a little bit of something like that. Okay. Um, so I had a couple of uh, tweets about um, on the level of language, people would kind of quote a uh, bit of Proust, but then mm-hmm. throw in, a, a line, a zinger from them themselves. And so okay. Allison Jay wrote, I like dessert with personality. And then the quote for Proust is, but the cakes understood the tarts were talkative. <laughs> <laughs> so that, which I picked because the theme, the, the use of food imagery in uh-huh. volume two is so striking. There's, um, there are people who are eating seafood in a restaurant uh-huh. and, from the pier, you can look in and see these wealthy people eating seafood. And yeah. the description of them is that they had become like these sea creatures because <laughs> they were framed by this glass. <laughs> and the food was like coming out of them and they were breaking it apart. And they just they had lobster and crab. And, um, <laughs> so the, and the, they, then um, Allison Jay also wrote this great thing about Al- Albertine. She wrote, Oh my God, Albertine's nasal draw, drawl, and the quote is, youth, youthful affectation of imperturbable Britishness, the coaching of a foreign governess, and a blocked nose. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, Proust is describing the Manichaean nasal twang caused by living in a constantly damp climate. <laughs> Which I loved. <laughs> um, there were short, snappy ones. The um, Mary Dykus wrote, "Odette is like Waldo; she pops up everywhere." Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, and um, Chauncey Blade wrote, "Marcel is the horniest character I've ever read. I'll die. <laughs> I'll die on this hill." <laughs> Which, I mean, there is some dispute whether the narrator is really a perfect kind of stand-in for Marcel and mm. whether or not. You know when what when he diverges from Marcel and so and then he also wrote also Marcel is like those guys in college who say that a girl must be a lesbian if she's not into him. <laughs> so. Yeah, he does that. That's right. Um, there was a lot of posting of photos. Tom Moran showed his bookcase area reserved for all the Proust books, mm. and he had it looked like every translation. Oh wow including like the original, you know, hardcover blue Proust volumes. So you mean every translation into English? Yeah. He, yeah. Well, he, had to, he looked like he had the French and then every French translation into English. Right. It was beautiful, it was beautiful to, to see it displayed like that. Um, so were there any people who, you know, were reading Proust for the millionth time or who, who had a, you know, that this was... Yeah, there were. There, I think there were a couple of people who were reading it for like the fourth or fifth time, and there was somebody yeah. I came across who had read it uh, over ten times. Right. And I invited her to the group, um, and she said that she was taking a break from reading Proust, mm. which I thought was, <laughs> which, which was very Proustian to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, most people have Proust on their list of things they'll get to eventually, but taking yeah. a break from Proust is some rarefied atmosphere there. Um, here, here's a tweet from Dim Evitz who said, you think you have trouble sleeping? There's a lot of insomnia in, uh, mm. in volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there was, um, a, a fair number of tweets relating Proust's kind of cork line bedroom life and the insularity of, of Proust to COVID life. Oh, right. Ali JP Miller said, Quoting Proust, I was trapped in the present as heroes are or drunkards. Mm. Uh, and she wrote, love this. We we so often think of living in the present as a good thing. And it is, of course, but using certain shortcuts to get there, like wine intoxication, come with consequences. Mm. So um, that wait, wine, wine intoxication is a shortcut to living in the present. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because it what takes away your your troubles unless you just focus on a hedonistic appreciation for the moment. Yeah. The, the whole like I was trapped in the I think the juxtaposition by Proust between heroes and drunkards. I was trapped in the present as heroes are or drunkards. Mm. So interesting. I'm trying to think if I've ever felt that way before. I guess there is something to that. Like if you're worried about something, something's weighing on your mind, you're worried about something that you did or something that you're about to do. And so people drink just to sort of feel them themselves in the moment and, and forget about their cares. It was a very kind of demanding group. I think if people tweeted about something that was up for debate, there was a lot of debating that followed. <laughs> and there was a little snappishness, you know, like, did you even read my tweet? <laughs> Which I thought was, you know, fairly daring for people who don't know each other. And we've all made a vow that after it's all over, if COVID's over, we'll get together. And one of the Proust readers has some land outside of Seattle and was like, you guys can all come visit me. And uh, But it'd be just funny interesting to hear each other's voices because the tweets you know i joked all the tweets come through in my mind with a british gps accent <laughs> so. well have you thought about doing i mean you could do a zoom call or something yeah i think we will after it's all over mm, yeah. yeah that'll be funny well i i'm i'm a little saddened to hear that people are getting snappish with each other no but in a in a very uh I love Proust and, you know, you love Proust and. Ah, so it's, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, (laughs) it's a fairly intense group, but intense directed at, at Proust. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. There's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very supportive community. Um, Mm -hmm. I am, I, I'm in Jupiter wrote, I've been knitting while I read Proust. At this point, I do about 1.5 rows a day. Hmm. <laughs> oh, um, so she's measuring the pages along with the, yeah. the progress in, in her knitting. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I often do when I'm on Reddit, uh, where I'm, you know, I'll listen to a podcast or something and then I'll, I'll go to the Reddit page for that podcast or you're watching a show and I go to the Reddit page, you know, and this is kind of like, I think, your project a little bit here where it's it's open to the general mm-hmm. public. It's not just a, a critic or a pair of critics who are talking, but, you know, sort of a free-for-all. And a lot of times people are negative and they're pointing out flaws and, and problems and I can't believe he said this and I can't believe she said that. And, and you know, and then other people say, do you even like the per- what are you doing on this sub forum? You know, why are you, uh-huh. why are you bothering? It doesn't seem like you even like them. And, and then usually the response is, no, 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 no. This is all because, you know, this is all with affection. This is all just to share gripes because I do love this person so much, or I do, you know, I am enjoying this show so much, but it, I find it fun and cathartic to uh, mm-hmm. talk about my frustrations or point out flaws or that kind of thing. Is that kind of the attitude people have toward Proust? He's so, so demanding and so famously, you know, can fa- so famously be verbose and, and all of that. Do you feel like things uh, can veer toward the negative against Marcel or is it more celebratory than that? I, I think people have dropped down. I think people, um, mm-hmm. Jimbo wrote one of the tweets. I, I, I He wrote... Um, same here. It took me 50 to 100 days to comprehend and enjoy the long sentences. I thought my working memory was insufficient for so many clauses and phases compiled into one main idea. I'm not in love with Proust yet, but I get it. Mm. Right. So, well, that's, yeah. That seems it, like he's got some respect for what, what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely parts of Volume 2 people enjoy it more than other parts. Mm-hmm. Um, the narrator, after being so present in volume one, is largely absent in volume two. Mm. And the so-called girls in flower, I mean, I don't want to 
to the extent this is a spoiler, the girls in Flower don't really appear until like the last, I don't know, 50 pages, which everyone had a, you know, good laugh over. Like where are, how could we be in the shadow if we don't have any yeah. young girls in Flower? So he sees them from a distance on a pier hmm. and early on, and then he sees them again and he builds up in his mind, you know, how perfect they are. Yeah. And then he finally meets them. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing like Marcel building something up in his mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just it's like he it's like he's this car and he turns on the engine to warm it up and then he just sits in the driveway for five hours before he, you know, puts it into drive and, and <laughs> takes off for his destination. And then by the time he gets there it's it's either, you know, better than he ever could have expected or a complete disappointment. But you just feel like, you know, if you hadn't spent those five hours in the driveway, you might you might just be <laughs> encountering this like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, we and we had uh, we have a fair number of people reading it in French and I think a couple of people reading it in, in Russian mm. um, and Sarah Diligente, who's reading it in French, wrote Albertine is an une allumeuse which is French, she knows that a well-behaved young woman girl of 17 does not invite a young man in his early 20s to her bedside at all, not even with a chaperone, or only if she is dying. Marcel got fooled and pays the price. <laughs> <laughs> so people would read tweets and have fallen behind and would look forward uh, by oh. keeping up by reading the tweets oh, right. uh, and say like, oh, I can't wait to finally meet Charles because he's, yeah. they've been reading about Charles. And I don't know if you can do, you know, this kind of, uh, these kind of reveals with many books, but with Proust, I feel like it, it really doesn't matter because the language is so, yeah, there's so much the part of the experience that, you know, if you know a little bit about the Baron de Charles, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it, it doesn't ruin it. Yeah, well, even the Madeleine, I mean, you can hear what that is, but there, there's nothing to, that would substitute for reading the passage. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you can know what it's about, and culturally that gives you, a, you know, something to, to talk about. But if you're talking about the experience, it's not spoiled by knowing that it's about, you know, the, the recollection of memory uh, that comes from it. It's not, that's not a, a plot point or something. In fact, I was gonna I was gonna comment on the the tweet that you had read before about Marcel is fooled and pays the price. That uh, <laughs> I like that because it makes it seem like there is more of a plot than there is, or you know, it sounds like the kind <laughs> right. of thing that you would say. Uh, it makes it sound really exciting, and right. knowing that you know that probably that that particular passage probably plays out over twenty pages or something is. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, it. It, you know, I've gotten to know many of the, the readers and their tweets. And I, you know, like Ann Smith wrote, I really wish Marcel's socio-emotional development would start catching up with his intellectual development. He wants a romantic relationship to be in love, but doesn't understand the first thing about either. Will mm. he be forever? Will he forever be stuck in obsessive infatuation? And you're right that for her to have written that tweet, it took like 85 pages yeah. of going through his, like his torturous, you know, right. when will I see them on the pier? Will the lighting right. on the pier be the same? <laughs> <laughs> the like... minute gradations of what he's talking about yeah. versus kind of the getting a, a big picture view of it. I mean, I read a plot summary of uh, Within a Budding Grove to prepare for this. And I was astonished because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember all of this. But man when you when you condense it into this paragraph i don't know who it was who wrote it it was from the britannica i think or something but it when you mm -hmm. read it like that it's kind of like oh wow this actually sounds more like kind of a a quick novel um yeah. <laughs> you know that that it can be condensed into these uh, into these things but i'm yeah. wondering are there people who criticize one another or are are there any no, of the, the no, tweeters yeah. who seem like snobs themselves and you don't understand Proust the way I do? And this is, well, I, you know, that, I think that's the beauty of Twitter is that you kind of shoot it out there mm -hmm. and it's there. Yeah. To, you can take it or leave it. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, some of the most 
you know, enjoyable tweets for me from people did it barely had any likes. And I think it's because <laughs> there are so many Proust tweets yeah. going on. I mean, <laughs> I, I read each and every one, but I, I have a feeling that some people didn't because some people would um, kind of touch upon the same tweet that had happened maybe four hours earlier that day. Right. Um, right. I think one of the, one of the most fun things for me was rereading Proust via tweets. Mm. People would um, retype or kind of paste uh, lines. And like, I love this line. Um, and cause you, when you read, yeah. Proust, you sort of like, you know, you, you, you admire it, but then mm-hmm. you're just so glad to be done with the sentence yep. that you're on to the next one. And yeah, I'm doing and, that. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm doing that with, uh, somehow I get the Moby Dick, um, uh-huh. you know, and it's just like a sentence or a time. It's just a bot who tweets out, uh, right. sentences from Moby Dick and reading them in isolation away from the book, so often I just think, man, this is it's almost hallucinogenic. Yeah. You know, Melville is just all over the place, and it's exciting to read a, a single sentence and thinking, oh, man, I got to go back to Moby Dick. It's been a few years, and thinking, I'm really going to appreciate this prose. I think in the past I was always kind of, you know, racing to get to the next part, and when do I get to turn the the page to the next chapter? And just thinking, I'm going to start appreciating him on a sentence level and <laughs> Proust I think is kind of like that where it's like I know there are things to savor but I can never spend yeah. too much time on it because I've got this mountain of things to savor ahead of me that I still have to climb yeah I mean the lines like what we call remembering a person consists really in forgetting features of him mm. I mean you know great lines like that like yeah Bob Druin um, says that narrator hitting his stride, describing the nature of Impressionism. And the the description is this. And similarly, this is from Proust, beyond the sea, behind a line of woods, another sea began, roseate, roseate with the light of the setting sun, which was, in fact, the sky. Like the sun, This this the second sea is the mm. sky. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's just... And so you, people were really, you know, savoring the day's readings. And there was a lot of like, well, yesterday's readings, you know, were yesterday's reading was okay, but this day, today's reading is, is the best. And mm. they were like, what about last Wednesday's reading? You know, it's like, so yeah. it was, um, it, it, it's just such a great way to uh, keep it fresh in your mind, you know, what you loved about the day. Yeah. And I, I mean, it is, I remember having this feeling too, where it's kind of like Proust writing about things. Like he can write about painting that is almost better to me than seeing yeah. a painting. And he can write about criticism in a way that is better to me than reading criticism or philosophy and, and uh, writing about food in a way that's almost better. It does make me want to go taste the food or it makes me want to go see the paintings and appreciate it. But music is like that too. It's almost like it's a better, uh, he gives me a better aesthetic experience in all these different ways. In addition to just novels, you know, novel and fiction, uh, and characters and, and so forth. It's like a, 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 a feast, like a gourmet meal in of aesthetic pleasure in all of these different areas. Yeah. I mean, and th- there are so many tweets about the grandmother, Oh yeah, volume one, and the joy of the readers when the grandmother comes back. In yeah, volume two. right, right. Uh, and <laughs> it, 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 I think reading it, reading all six volumes together as a project, it, it's it's very much on people's minds. Like, when will I see Albertine again? Where's yeah. Odette? How is Swan doing? Yeah, and I think there's something like we, we've all become like you know a little bit of an expert. Uh, yeah you know, experts of Proust because, you know, it's so unusual um, to just every day, we're now on day 150, you know, yeah. uh, spending some time with Proust. When there are characters that recur and sometimes topics that recur can feel the same way, it is so joyous with Proust. You do just feel like, 
uh, oh, you know, yeah. they're back. Oh, yes. You know, what are they up to now? And it is yeah. uh, his enthusiasm for seeing people that he knows from his past or, you know, seeing them again or being excited hearing that they're about to come over or he's about to see them at so-and-so's or or that he's surprised when he turns and sees someone who's familiar. And it's kind of like the reader feels the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it and. And I think, you know, people are gotten better at their tweets because I, I, I'm part of book Twitter and I fo- regularly follow different book clubs. And there's almost like a, too much politeness mm. in the way people tweet mm-hmm. and too much generality. And I think maybe it's a problem a little bit with like the whole like Amazon five stars, you know, mm. so it's like you, you, you think that like. You know, Citizen Kane was nothing because like ninety percent of the movies are five stars. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, but right. with within the Proust group, because we've gotten to know each other, it's almost like there's a challenge, a gauntlet's been thrown to be a little more interesting in your tweet. Mm, yeah, to make it worth our while, because ultimately, wouldn't you just rather be reading Proust? Than yeah. reading tweets about Proust, but we've made it so that you do want to read tweets, and people right. are posting articles, and yeah, um, they're, so they're. What I'm trying to say is that they're very grounded in the way we live today and what our lives are like, and we're not purely escaping to Proust. Yeah, um, Allison J on November third wrote a great tweet. She wrote, "Get out of your cork bedrooms and vote." <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be my favorite Proust tweet. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's like uh, that. That makes me feel like uh, you guys are all pals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we get annoyed at the same things. I think that that's been very enjo- enjoyable. Like um, yeah, Proust building up Albertine and Proust complaining about you know having to wait for you know, whatever the, the lift or something. And mm. there's so much detail in there that I missed the first time around it in a quiz show tweeted that, uh, Proust talks about a photo telephone of the future. Mm. And he says, did Proust just predict the iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> Cause he says like, you know, he has all these theories about like, what would it be like if we could really remember a person? And how do we remember a person? Do we see them double in time the way you see something double in space? Mm. You know, and, you know, and then he has this throwaway line about what if we had photo telephones? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, all of us were just like, wow, you know, I mean, somebody was like, this is my third time reading it. And I just never stopped at that. Right. And I didn't make the connection. You know? Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you a question when you were talking about the uh, the person who was uh, tweeting. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was something like, when is Marcel going to uh, stop thinking about this and start thinking about that or realize, you know, the, the tweet that summarized. Uh, oh, yeah. Those pages. The, his romantic, yeah. his, you know, wanting a romantic relationship. Yeah. But but and not really developed emotionally. I always feel like, it, you know, if this were another author, you'd yeah. feel like, oh, they made their character a little too obsessed in this direction or not developing quickly enough in that direction or I wish this character would grow in a certain way. And I know Marcel and the narrator is supposed to be kind of a character, but it's mm-hmm. really hard when I read Proust that, not to think I want it for him as a person, you know, when things are going bad or when he's defeating himself or he's hard on himself or something like that. I don't think like, Oh, he made his character beat himself up. I think, Oh no, Proust is beating himself up. Like why, you know, he, he, I I wish he would see things in a slightly different way. And isn't that how you read it? It's funny you say that because I think there were, there were, um, quite a number of tweets about like what Marcel deserves. Mm. Like 
Mm-hmm. He's worked so hard at his novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were really confusing yeah. with, the, with the author, but I think there's so much we know about him. Yeah. People were remarking like, well, I would rather not know anything about mm. him and what the char- who the characters are based on. And other people were saying like, but it's so, it's such an enjoyment a level, another level of enjoyment knowing what he was like and, you know, his, his, um, you know, what a mama's boy he was and, you know, yeah, how obsessed, right. how much he was part of the society. But yeah, they, they, I think people have really kind of che- are cheering for him to like grow up, get the girl. Yep. Find <laughs> yeah. some happiness, find, you know, yeah. Settle like, in to you know, like get, get some like fulfillment, COVID, aesthetic sur- fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. Survive COVID, like make it through. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, this, it's a, uh, it's, it, I think people there, there's even talk of just like let's just start reading it again at the end, you know. Let's yeah, because now it feel, volume one feels very far away. You know? Yeah, you know, I know people who have done that with the uh, Patrick O'Brien books. Mm, they get yeah. to the end of it and they just start right back in with page one of Master and Commander, just to they don't want to leave that world behind and they. You know, at that point, they've gone through 20 volumes or whatever, and it's like volume one is fresh again, and they just, uh, <laughs> that's the only book they ever have to read for the rest of their lives, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where are we? Are we, are we, what number are we up to? I don't know. I feel like I've, uh, oh, is that 10? Covered. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I've covered, I mean, th- th- there, there are many others, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's, good mix. I think you get a good, good flavor of, yeah. You know, well, in a uh, way, I feel kind of bad because, you know, if someone is excited now and wants to join, they'd be joining you at, by the time this airs, it'll be, uh, you'll be probably four. in volume yeah. four. And, you know, if they can catch up <laughs> or if they want to jump in in volume four, I don't know if I'd recommend that. But uh, yeah. maybe if they've read Proust before, they could do that. Or maybe they're just, I know you do a lot of these. Maybe they want to do this with another book. I know you went through Thucydides. We talked about your Herodotus project. You did uh, Anna Karenina, War and Peace. And then do you have some Bolaño coming up? Oh, we should. I think we're going to... What's definitely coming up uh, is I, Claudius. Oh, right. Starting January 15th. Okay, well, Uh, that... Yeah, I don't think this will be out in time for that. But that's one people probably could catch up because that's such a fun read, so... Yeah, and then um, we're gonna do the good soldier Schweck oh, yeah. on Ju- on June first, <laughs> right? Which, uh, <laughs> but I sh- I I would love to do two six six six. So yeah, I guess maybe I I'll, saw you. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll get that going. I saw you guys kicking that one around as a possibility. So anyway, yeah. if people want to keep up, probably the best way is to just uh, follow you at Literature SC. And yeah. then figure out where you are on the hashtags, and then they could follow the hashtags after that. But uh, probably to get the latest news, it's probably best to just uh, subscribe to Mike or follow Mike. Yeah, they. We've had people come uh, onto Bruce together and say like, "Oh, I want to jump in. Like, how far ahead are you guys?" <laughs> There's been some chuckling, like, "Oh, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> <laughs> we're on page like one thousand nine hundred eighty-three." <laughs> Because they're like, well, I can, I can, I can read maybe like a hundred pages a day, and I was like, mm, yeah. see you in a month. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's leave things there, Mike. As always, thank you for joining me on the history of literature. Thanks, Jack. Okay. There we go. My thanks again to Rodrigo for the message and to Mike for helping us get our next 100 episodes off to a good start. 301. Let's keep going, people. Next week is supposed to be a big one. My business partners are running some kind of promo or something, and next week is a big deal. Apparently, it's like sweeps week. So I'm going to see what I can do with Ms. Jane Austen. We will see. But those are usually popular episodes, and I hope you help me make them popular. Please do come back. Notify your friends. Who doesn't love Jane Austen? It's hard to imagine. It's like not loving puppies. (laughs) 
Anyway, I thought I'd take a look at her own life and loves to see if we can shed any light on all the light that she herself shed. Where did that come from? Where did that knowledge come from? That insight? Do we know? Turns out we know a little, and maybe we know a lot. So tune in, dear listeners, and we will try to deliver. We've partnered up with LitHub Radio and The Podglomerate. Find out more at www.thepodglomerate.com and historyofliterature.com. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Universe.